This is Big Red Potion. Brought to you by the Gamer Views and the Unified Gamers Network, you're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that made Jack a dull boy. I'm your blood-curdling host, Joe D'Elia, TGR's Reviews Director, which is a bit different this week. Yes, absolutely. And I'm joined, as always, by the man who puts the ill into Silent Hill, TGR's Editorials and Features Director, Sinan Kuba. How's it shaking? Very good, thank you. Uh, yeah, you got promoted. You know, I did, I got promoted. Kind of, like, shifted. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of shifting, a little bit of promoting, but uh, taking the reviews now, which is kind of cool, because that's my, that's my thing. But, uh, yeah, yeah. how are you doing this week? Yeah, not, not, not bad. Uh, I'm feeling much better than last week. And uh, I was very, very sad to not be able to join you guys last week. But it was a really good show, so uh, well done. Yeah, Sinan had all types of bugs last week. <laughs> we, were, we were not getting him on the show, but uh, thank you for coming back on. Yeah, Pleasure I, to have you here. I basically couldn't eat at one point. That, was, uh, <laughs> that wasn't fun. That is a problem. That yeah. is a problem. Okay, so this week's guest list features a gaggle of Gamernode guys who are going to rock your ear tubes like no other. First up, fresh from the GameX Expo. I, did I pronounce that right? Because that just, it, it's very confusing to say. It's GameX Expo? Game Expo. Game, oh, it's just Game Expo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fresh from the Game Expo in Philadelphia, he's a com- columnist at Gamernode as well as a regular on the Versus Node podcast. For the first time on Big Red Potion, I bring you Jason Finelli. How was the show, man? Uh... Doing it was very well, very very good. I got to play Bayonetta and Dante's Inferno. Very excited about Bayonetta. It certainly earns that forty out of forty from Famitsu. Dante's Inferno. Eh. <laughs> so, um, it's is it as horrifying as most of the things we'll be talking about on the show today, or is it horrifying it could, in a different way? It's could be. It's it's one of those. It's not like ah scare you. It's like cold shower scare you. Ooh, that sounds like fun. Okay. Did they have any type of lust contest at this show, or is it just... No, uh, there was no sin to win, none of that crap. Ah, oh, shame. That's a shame. I, I presume you uh, you played Bayonetta on the 360 then, if you yes. were talking about the 40 out of 40 version. Yes, yes. They weren't bringing the PS3 version to that show. <laughs> that's very strange. At E3, I only saw the 360 version too, so I can't really comment on that, but that's very strange. For another show. Sure, sure. All right, so next up, the man who needs no introduction, mainly because I've run out of things to say about him. Awesome dude, gamer node, go-to guy, and a man that I recommended on LinkedIn this week, Eddie Inizato, ladies and gentlemen. What's up, Edward? Nothing much. Uh, I'm out in San Diego this week, back in my this week? home away from home. <laughs> okay. To play some yeah. volleyball? Absolutely. Good man. And Good I man. thank you for that uh, LinkedIn uh, plug. Sure. My <laughs> pleasure, sir. My pleasure. Okay, so today's Halloween-themed episode is all about horror in games and the effects that these titles can have on a somewhat unprepared psyche of a gamer. But in discussing the show at hand the other day, I showed him a quote that pertains to horror gaming that spurred a lengthy debate between the two of us about everything under the sun. So I thought that it would be best to begin the show with that exact same quote and see where the conversation goes from there. So, this passage was taken from an article that Ludwig Keatsman wrote for Joystick last year, entitled Branching Dialogue Survive All Horror. A good survival horror game is one that you don't enjoy playing. There's an element of self-depreciation at work here, one that willingly sets you up for the scare and the relief that comes when you realize that, oh, none of it's real. Of course it isn't. You're playing a game. 
but a good survival horror game will make you forget that critical fact, long enough for you to question what's around the corner and frequently enough to have you gasping at the sight of polygonal, blob, po- polygonal blobs leaping through the windows. It is, and should be, a stressful experience, a constant source of worry and unanswered what-ifs. Eddie, what do you think about the statement? Do you think that there is some kind of masochistic thrill involved with playing horror games? Um, yeah, I think so. I was just thinking that all that's true, except what if you really do enjoy being stressed and worried? So you think that's part of it? It's that you kind of get off on uh, the, the thrill of not knowing what's there and the, the scares that come along with it? Yeah, exactly. It's a, a way to, I guess, get your adrenaline flowing in a different way from just your typical action-packed sort of game. That's actually how my girlfriend describes uh, it exactly when she watches horror movies. She mentions adrenaline, and uh, I just don't get that with horror movies and with horror games so much, uh, which I think may have been one of the major instigators in that lengthy debate we had when, we, when that <laughs> quote first came up. But uh, um, I would tend to agree with that. I don't scare well. I love playing horror games, but I don't scare well. To the point where I played Fear, um, and I can't believe I'm admitting this on a pet, on a podcast, but I played Fear, the original Fear, with a YouTube walkthrough behind me. So I knew when things popped out. Um, if I hadn't done that, I think I would have stayed in the same save point for three weeks and just not moved until I knew it was coming. I, I just, I don't know. I, I, like, I like the thrill of being scared, but at the same time, some games just make you go, I can't continue, and you have to put it down and go do something else and then come back to it. Of course, that's what makes a good survival horror game. See, I've gotten that from other people, too. My friend, uh, he bought Dead Space about a year ago, pretty much when it came out, and um, he still hasn't played it <laughs> because he played the first level, and he got so like jarred by it that he can't bring himself back to playing it because he knows that it's going to be somewhat torturous when he does. And he likes the gameplay, he likes the setup, he likes everything, but he just couldn't take the, the thrill of uh, being in this situation of not knowing what's around the next corner, so he hasn't touched it, which I thought was a bit odd with Dead Space, but that's just me, but um, I still can't convince him to play it. A lot odd with Dead Space, that game is yeah. scary. <laughs> Alright, so, okay, Sanam, what do you think about all this? I don't, I understand people are different. I don't want to say just because I don't find games scary that uh, games can't be scary and can't, do, you know, affect you in the, in the incredible ways and um, or survival horror games to be specific my major qualm was something which I guess was your inspiration for this show Joe because this is the show you conceived um, that there's something inherent about horror games which makes them uh, do more affecting than any other genre in, in gaming or at least horror games have been more affecting than any, than any other kind of games of recent and I just have a problem with that statement I think that, that misses out on a lot of superbly affecting games that have a, and I, when I say affecting, I mean in, in a visceral sense, in a very mm. physical sense, and I guess that kind of brings in the whole adrenaline side of things. But um, you know, like just for example, today I've just been playing Mirror's Edge, and uh, that game does all kinds of crazy stuff to you. Uh, hmm. It can be negative, it can be very nauseating, or it can be very positive and, and make you feel like you are running at speed across rooftops. And uh, there's no other game like that out out there for me. And like, I think there are lots of examples of lots of games from other genres which are just as applicable to that statement, uh, or at least the sort of inherent visceral affection of that statement, which are from from Ludwig. 
Well, just to get a little background on, do you find yourself being scared at horror films, or is it just a game thing that doesn't really get to you? I think I've been scared by maybe one or two horror films. I just, I don't really like them. I, I find a lot of them are very samey and cliche, and uh, I, I have a girlfriend who is obsessed with them, so that probably doesn't help. <laughs> it, like, we go, to block, we go to blockbusters, and basically four out of five films we get are horror films. <laughs> it's like, okay, great, I'll watch that one comedy on my own, shall I? Um, so I, I, I wonder if I've got a lot of personal bias in this, but um, no, I don't really find horror movies or horror games particularly scary. Hmm. It's interesting, because I don't, to qualify what I said before, um, I don't really find the games or, or scary movies scary per se, but for some reason I still really love them. I think it has to do with just uh, the element of the unknown, like just not knowing what's coming, and I think that... Uh, horror games and horror movies tend to exploit that more so than others because they're trying to go for that uh, edge of the seat, you know, scare you at every turn sort of feeling. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I do understand. Um, I just, I don't know. Something about being scared or being uneasy um, just does not sit well with me. Maybe it's the fact that I am a large man with a history of heart problems or a family history of heart problems, I should say. Um, and you always have to worry about the random heart attack that could spurt for being shocked too, too, too suddenly. I mean, I, I don't mind a good horror movie every once in a while. I don't mind a good horror game every once in a while. I just have to make sure that the lights are on and I'm in a mindset to be scared instead of, or knowing that I'm going to be scared, I should say, instead of just going in there and being like, I don't know what this movie's about. Holy crap. No, that, that wouldn't work. I think for me it is like, yeah, there's two kinds of, well, I mean, there's multiple kinds of scares, but for me, I, I kind of quantify it in two things. There's the, the boo, there's a monster in this closet and he jumped out at you when the music went up, you know, that kind of scare. And then there's the more cerebral stuff like, um, you know, the, the things that kind of just creep you out. And, and I'm more in the latter category. I kind of enjoy that stuff more. I mean, um, in the first couple of Resident Evil games, uh, specifically, there was a moment in the second one where uh, you're in a police station and um, you, you're on one side of a two-sided mirror and nothing happens. And then you go to the other side of a two-sided mirror and a liquor jumps through and scares the bejesus out of you. Yep. I think that's one of like the most effective um, jump scares that's ever gotten to me. I remember spilling coke all over my lap right after that happened, which was just <laughs> fantastic. Um, narr narrowly avoiding the dual shock, by the way. Very, very close to a $40 mistake. Oh. But... Um, but, you know, the, the latter category for me, the, the cerebral stuff, that's the stuff that I really dig because I think that a lot of game designers, and I'll say that even more so than many movie directors uh, have done in the past, they really try, uh, game designers try and put you in this place mentally where you're very uneasy about everything because of the music, because of the sound, because of the visuals that you're seeing. And I don't mean the scary dead space creatures flailing their arms wildly above their heads coming at you, that kind of stuff. I'm talking about, like in Silent Hill where the walls are bleeding and you don't know why and you can't explain it and you just keep going and you turn the corner and there's this wheelchair in the distance that you can't see or touch. It's just there and it's, it looks like something sinister has happened on or around that wheelchair but you just can't tell what it is because you didn't see it happen. Um, it's that kind of stuff that gets to me, uh, hits me really hard and it makes me really enjoy this genre of games. It's almost like the anticipation. So, the anticipation yeah, right, of... Of something's going to happen as soon as they get to that wheelchair, and then when you get there, nothing happens. Well, that's the thing. Like, I think that's even more effective. I, I actually almost prefer when nothing happens because it just makes you all the more worried about what is going to happen soon. And, you know, I mean, like, 
Silent Hill 2, I think there's maybe two jump scares in that entire game, but the, the, the five hours of anticipation for each one of those jump scares makes it all the more effective. Yeah, I think definitely in most uh, horror games, it's the silence that that gets you the most. Like one game that actually got, like, sort of scared me um, was Penumbra, Black mm. Plague, and it was yes. mostly because there was just nothing going on <laughs> except for the main character, and there were enemies that, no matter what, if you encountered them, you were dead. So <laughs> it was like, okay, I want to be really safe in this place, and I don't know how to do that because there's no clue as to what's coming or when. Hmm. So that's definitely uh, the most effective to me. Uh, going back to the uh, Cerebral Creepy, um, anyone who's played Fear 2, and this one I did not play with a walkthrough, I promise. Um, <laughs> f anyone who's beaten Fear 2 was privy to one of the most disgusting scenes in a game ever. It was just... <laughs> Unadult. Uh, there's, there's no other word besides creepy. Dear God, make it stop. When you, when that, mm. and and if I'm spoiling something, I'm sorry. When that door Spoiler opens, alert. yeah. When, when that door opens in that pod, and you see what you see, you can't help but think to yourself, "Ew, that's disgusting." Not like the first game where that little surprise happened right before the screen went black. This is completely different, and. If you don't feel somewhat sickened by what you see when you finish that game, then either you're not human or you weren't paying attention. <laughs> for those who don't know, and again, big spoiler alert for the next 10 seconds, at the end of the game, uh, Alma lures you into a room. The whole game was to lure you into this room, and she rapes you and to your child. impregnate herself, yes, because she wants to have a child. And it's very disturbing. <laughs> Very much so. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't, Eddie and uh, Sinan, I don't think you guys played that one, right? No. That's but thanks. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that that's well worth seeing. Um, so, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. The really just get under your skin creep factor of that kind of stuff that I, I you know, as much as, like, when Sinan and I were talking the other day, we were talking about how, you know, Uncharted makes you feel the certain, um, the thrill, the, uh, the adrenaline that gets pumping, all that stuff. And um, for me, I mean, you know, as much as uh, Uncharted 2 made me ex extremely excited and stuff, there was nothing in that game that really dropped me into that kind of place as some of the creepiest moments of a Resident Evil or a Silent Hill or anything like that. It has a un Horror games have a unique feel, with me anyway. I know it's different for everybody. Some people are scared, some people aren't scared. But for me anyway, personally, um, horror games take me to a very different place than, say, uh, Gears of War does with its action or something like that. And that's the kind of thing that I was trying to quantify is this, that feeling. I'm really glad that you brought up on Uncharted 2 because obviously it was on what you guys talked about last uh, week and uh, you were all very, right. very up on it and, I, and uh, you just reviewed it for the game reviews in fact and gave it uh, an did. incredible score and uh, it's amusing because by the way you're talking about it and by the way, you know, saying that uh, I got affected by it more it, it sounds like you prefer, I preferred the game to you but in fact you, you vastly preferred the game uh, compared to me I, I thought it was a very decent game but not not quite uh, as amazing as you thought it was. But what right. what was especially interesting is that I the moments I found in Uncharted 2, which are similar to what you're kind of talking about in uh, with uh, with Fear 2 and, and Resident Evil and, and Silent Hill, is those moments where they took player control away um, in, in in the middle of a platforming sequence. So say in that very first uh, sequence where you're up on you're trying to scale the cabin, 
to mm. get you know that's hanging over the cliff and you're just trying desperately to get to the top of it the bits where you think you're in control and the game suddenly goes actually you know what boom throwing you against the side of the cabin the cabin's going to go aflame I mean, even though you know Drake's going to be safe it's the same way you go into a horror movie and you know that it's not real like you you kind of make a concession in your head and just go this is a fictional thing um, it's it's really exciting those, those bits really affected me I mean there, there, there may be too many of them in Uncharted 2 to kind of they lost their impact over time but uh, I actually found that really quite different and I hadn't really seen anything like that in a game like these bits which break up gameplay and remove control just very briefly I don't think that's actually been done in many games hmm I think that that same sort of thrill kind of applies to horror games in that, as a character, they always try to make you feel like you're helpless, you're, you don't have any control over the situation that you're in. And mm-hmm. I think as gamers or just, I guess, uh, consumers of media in general, we've always been in control of what we're doing or, or what we're seeing, what what we're taking in, that when it gets taken away it's that much more thrilling. Is there anything is in, in more inherent or implicit regards a game, a horror game, as opposed to a horror movie or horror book, in that you're the character who's in danger as opposed to watching other characters in danger? Uh, I think so. I, I would say yes. I would say absolutely, because you're you're controlling this character. Though the argument could be made that because you're watching these characters, you invest emotionally in these characters, you start to relate to these characters, and because of that, if something's about to come down and fall upon their head, you're like, no, I just invested some of my time in these people. Don't kill them. That's why I hate movies where everybody dies at the end, because you know you want at least one person to be like, I survived this. And if everyone dies, you're just like, then what the hell did I watch this for? I, I love movies where everyone dies at the end. Oh, wow, the <laughs> shit out of me. <laughs> um, but yeah, with movies, it's like, you ever watch the move, a scary movie, and the whole time you're basically either talking to your, like, thinking in your head or talking to the screen like, this person's such an idiot. And you get, like, <laughs> mad at the character for being so, like, such a failure at existence. Whereas in the game, at least at least you are the character. I think maybe one of my my problems, and I think I, I have to kind of qualify. I've not played some of the important games in this discussion. I haven't played Silent Hill games, and I and uh, I haven't played Fear Two clearly. And uh, uh, there are some games like Eternal Darkness. I know what happened. I just haven't played that game. So there are some important oh. games in this. Com- I know. I'm sorry. There are some important games in this conversation I've not talked about. So this is why I'm kind of maybe wondering. It's just I haven't played the right game. And especially when I say that I haven't encountered characters in horror games that I like, <laughs> like there isn't apart from uh, Barry Burton, man. Okay, but that that's different. <laughs> okay, no one could dislike Barry Burton. I mean, he's a comedic character. Absolutely, hmm. I, I kind of liked um, you know Resident Evil Four, Resident Evil Five's characters to some extent, and uh, uh, maybe Dead Space's characters weren't terrible if a bit bland. But um, I just did. There's nothing. There's no real exciting characters that I can care about in horror games that I've played, at least. Well, to be honest with you, I mean, most horror movies have awful, unlikable right. characters too. <laughs> I mean, that's that they just took that right from the, the cinematic scope. I mean, I I'm not a huge. I don't like slasher. I, I watch slasher flicks sometimes. I'm not a huge fan of like the Jasons and the Freddies of the world. But hey, you know those movies. I'm sorry. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it! Now I'm screwed. All right, well. <laughs> 
the Freddies of the world uh, and the Michael Myerses of the world. I'm not a big fan of those, but um, you know the the psychological stuff. The the psychological movies they tend to be more character studies, and I think in the games it's that way too. Like I really did not care that much about Isaac Clarke. I didn't find his story particularly fascinating, but I think in like the Silent Hill games, Eternal Darkness had great uh, great storylines for each of the characters. Um, I think in the more cerebral ones, they do kind of focus a little bit more on that as opposed to, you know, the, 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 the slash em ups. Clyde Barrico's Jericho, for example. Um, I don't think they really focus too much on the characters there. But um, well, that's the whole thing. Like, with the, the Silent Hill games in specific, and I know I'm going back to the same well over and over, but I have to because that's my job. Um, the Silent Hill games, they're always very personal character stories. Each one is basically about... Um, a loss in each of that character's lives and how they're going to this town basically looking to get that person back. So the first game was a daughter, the second game was a wife, third game was a father. Um, and the thing that I liked about those games so much is that, uh, you know, like we were saying, how it's different to watch a movie and just see what these characters are doing than as opposed to a game where you're actually controlling what these characters are doing. Um, as I mentioned on the show before, what you do in Silent Hill affects the ending that you get. Um, and it's not just an A or B decision. It's actually the, the choices that you make throughout the entire game. Like, if you let your companion get hit too many times by enemies, um, that will negatively impact the ending that you get because you obviously don't care about her enough to protect her from the monsters. Um, if you don't listen to what she says, if you run ahead of her instead of talking with her, that will affect your ending because you're, you're you're ignoring what she's saying, that kind of stuff. And I know that sounds really annoying, but it actually does kind of work out in the context. But, you know, some of the endings, uh, of Silent Hill 2, I mean, there's one where you'll get in your car, drive in a lake and kill yourself if you, you know, that's obviously if you did make all the choices incorrectly. Um, in Silent Hill 3, your character basically becomes the Antichrist if you don't do everything, um, towards the good side of the thing. And I think that's the dynamic that, you know, the games kind of have over movies, horror movies anyway, that you kind of have control in these characters' lives. And because it's so personal, you do kind of get invested in these characters' stories. Yeah, um, the fact that the fact that you choose which um, paths they take does easily makes games a more personal experience the fact that you say that the the anti you become the antichrist if you don't do everything towards the good side in Silent Hill 3 is made even more interesting by the fact that you're playing a little girl and that yep. and that a little girl could become such evil is just mind-boggling it gives that game a whole nother layer of um what's what's the word personality um, and especially when you think that one of the hidden endings, I believe it's either in three or two, is that a dog is controlling everything. Or at least they have, yes. the, they have the ability to break the ice as well. Sure. So you could be evil, you could be good, or you could f- figure out that you're being lured around by a dog at a control panel. Um, but back to the whole, the whole uh, personality thing, the fact that this, this little girl, it's almost as if, if I remember correctly, you know it's evil, but she doesn't necessarily remember. I, I, I don't know. I guess I just don't remember the game. Um, it's been a long time. Um, um, it's basically the, the the little girl in the first game that tries to kill everyone. Um, she gets reborn as the, the hero of the third game, and then she doesn't really remember her past, but everyone else kind of does. Okay. That was... I, 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 regards to like, personality, like, I, okay, I'm, I think... Clearly, like I, I can't argue that there haven't been good horror games. I haven't played the games that you're talking about, Silent Hill, da, da, da. and that, and I'm not even saying that the ones that I've played aren't good horror games. I just think 
the horror isn't what's good about them. Uh, say like Dead Space, I think had wonderful shooting mechanics. I just really liked the dismemberment of it. Uh, Resident Evil mm. Four just had was so fun, and uh, the level design was so was so clever. Um, and and just the fact that they they changed up the, the zombies and made them you know this weird variable pace, um, like that's fun. But the the horror side of it is not what appeals to me in those games. Um, and I guess again, this is coming back to what. My argument is I don't think there's anything inherent about a horror game that actually separates it from other genres, and especially like the, this is this is kind of a, a key question to this whole conversation. Like, how do you actually define survival horror as a genre? And and to to, to further that question, would you say something like Half Life is a horror game? Well, it has horror elements. It has horror elements, but I don't know if I would specifically consider it a full horror game um well well i don't know because i just i don't i don't see it as i see it as more of like a like a sci-fi alien thriller but i don't know about horror per se um horror i feel more is um you're set you're you're set in a world where um you know that there's it's 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 more of a dark tone. I don't I don't think Half Life has the tone of a horror game. Dead Space horror, Resident Evil horror. Half Life I did not play, feel playing through that game that I was in like a horror scared scary situation as much as the other games. Really, it has a lot to do with the game's pacing and the specific themes. Um, I think when you know that the game is designed to, at least in some way, instill a bit of fear or, or in, in create suspense, um, make the player feel like they're uh, in a greater sense of danger. I think that that whole helplessness thing is big to me. And um, I guess anything that deals with supernatural uh, themes tends to be yeah. categorized as horror. That's, I was just going to say, uh, go ahead. I was just going to very quickly say, I mean, as much as I, I kind of agree with what Jason just said, the way you're describing it, Eddie, does sound a lot like Half-Life. It, it, you know, it, 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 the guy is in danger, implicit in danger. That's the whole point of that game. Uh, there is a lot of supernatural stuff going on in that game. There are definitely horror elements. There's a lot of uh, monsters around corners and uh, uh, changes in sort of tone and music and, and sound to make you feel creeped out. I think it's because with Half-Life, it's so implicitly a first-person shooter uh, that, you know, that. whereas with something like Resident Evil, I don't know, part of me, the cynical part of me just wonders if you make your, your you are dead screen bloody and you make the zombies look like zombies, does that make it a horror game? Like, I, Well, that's the way it is with movies too, though. Like, what, I'm not saying it isn't, I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying it's it's really stupid, like as just as the way things developed in society. That okay, if your movie has vampires in it, it's a horror movie. Like that's kind of the way that they they've divided it, you know, in movies. And I think it's kind of the same in games. Like there really is nothing. Like technically, there really is no genre of horror because it's they're basically just adventure games or action games. Like Dead Space is clearly an action game. Yeah, that's what I said. And Resident Evil is clearly an adventure game. Right. Pretty much the first couple anyway. So it's kind of just you know a, a 
a quantifiable thing. Like, you know, there's there's sci-fi action and there's horror action. There's thing. But, you know, because Capcom about a decade ago said, well, we want our game to stand out. Let's invent a new genre, basically, called survival horror that we're going to use in all our PR that's going to set this thing up. And every single developer since that time has taken that name and used it. That's kind of how this came about. But I think that what Jason and what Eddie were um, saying is the, the whole feeling of desperation and isolation. I think that is kind of what I identify with horror games. Like, the you know, Half-Life is... I wouldn't say it's horror because it, it's kind of a bit lighter, as the, as the guys had just said. But then there's also this moment in Half-Life 2 called Ravenholm where you're trapped in this town of zombies. And it absolutely 100% is a horror experience. Okay. You're, you're trapped there. You have to fight them. A better example, then. Bioshock. Bioshock. I would call that horror. But yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think that's a little closer to horror than uh, Half Life is, because because it's 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 a genetic. It's like a, it's got a sci- it's got a sci fi background like Half Life does, but it's more about mutilation and mutation. And whereas Half Life, it's just you're being invaded by by uh, another species through through the portal. Whereas in Bioshock, these people screwed with themselves, and they went crazy because they screwed with themselves in this underwater world where there were no limitations whatsoever. But and, and it drove them nuts and to kill each other, and you have to witness this. Like that part where the woman is talking to the baby in the carriage that ends up being a gun, that is creepy. <laughs> the only thing that really creeped me out about Half-Life was that everywhere I turned, there was some guy in a suit staring at me. Um... That was the mm. G-Man is is a little bit creepy, but everything else, um, half uh, I got a lot more of the creep factor from Bioshock than I did from Half Life. Yeah, again, it's like it's that slow, measured pace that the game uh, sets you up on, whereas in in Half Life games you're kind of just plowing through, whereas in Bioshock you're 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 moving slowly, you're seeing what's around the corner, you're witnessing these strange events. It goes dark, you know, you go into these different areas that are totally confining or they're they're wide open and stuff's coming at you from all different directions. I don't know, I think it's more of a, a, just a visceral, not to reuse the word too much, but it's more of a visceral experience to me. Now, question, Sinan, um, since you think that Half-Life could be considered horror, what's your opinion on a game like Metroid? That's a good question. <laughs> um, it's difficult if, if you're going to go to, say, the original Metroid. That's difficult because the limitations, obviously, of the game and the console and the graphics and stuff uh, to really make you feel scared or, or creeped out. But I, I think Metroid definitely has horror elements. I mean, especially the way you guys are describing it, that you, know, you are in this weird world, you're isolated, you're on your own, and uh, there is a bunch of stuff trying to kill you. I mean, that's kind of... As, as to be simplistic about it, what I would kind of say horror is in some ways, like uh, it, it's out of the ordinary. I, I prefer that to the term supernatural. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And uh, it's uh, there's danger and uh, there's isolation. I think those maybe are kind of the three key components I'd have said uh, make up horror in a game. And I, again, I wanted to kind of get back to that to the, the term survival horror because I, I remember listening to. Um, Lee Alexander and Mitch Capota talk with uh, Michael Abbott on, on Brainy Game Podcast about this, and they they mentioned it was something inherent in the gameplay. And I know, Joe, that that's a view you feel as well that there's something about having lack of ammunition and 
uh, and things like that that makes survival horror stand out from other games. I think that's a... Okay, so I think it's a really effective trick that some developers use to get you into a certain mood. And I know it, it's it's really frustrating to some people, and I understand that, but I think it also kind of works in a way. Like, I'll, I'll make Dead Space the example. I wasn't scared ever in the first Dead Space because you have so much ammo in that game. You have plenty of resources. There are save points every few rooms, automatic save points. It's not like you have to get to a certain point to save or anything. Um, and because of that, I really was never worried in that game because even if something crazy jumped out from behind the corner at me, I know that if I die, well, I'll just have to start again five seconds before I, I died, and then that's it. I'm, I'm set. Um, and I understand that, you know, it's it's not all about that. And, and obviously, you know, if you're scared by these creatures, it's fine. I honestly wasn't. I think the uh, crazy creatures running with little wavy hands and above their heads was kind of stupid looking, but that's just me. Um, but in something like uh, Resident Evil... Especially the remake on the GameCube. Uh, that game, they were very stingy about giving you health and ammo. And it was never to the point where the game was impossible to play or where it was frustrating because you knew that if you you know, you know ran out of ammo, you wouldn't be able to fight anything. But it was, uh, it was restrictive enough that you couldn't just run around blowing heads off zombies. And halfway through that game, they made the brilliant uh, idea of having a, a form of super zombie basically come out where you kill a zombie, it gets back up and it runs full speed after you like in Resident Evil 4. Um, I think they were called Crimson Heads, if I'm not mistaken. And that is what um, really made that game completely frightening because you couldn't fight them before. And now that these new, faster, harder-to-kill ones are running around, you really can't fight them. So you have to really resort to you know, your primary instinct when you see something scary, which is, of course, to run away. And in Resident Evil Remake, you have to run away. And in Silent Hill, you have to run away because the weapon combat really isn't that smooth and it's, it, there's not that much ammo around. And I think that that, the fact that you can't fight everything in those games and that if you do, you're going to run into trouble later, maybe. Um, I think that is what, uh, for me at least, that's what adds a bit of fear to certain survival horror games, the ones that use those tools effectively. Yeah, they, they generally make your main character sort of incapable. Whereas in games like um, Half-Life or Metroid or even, even Bioshock, which is why it's not, why you don't immediately think of it as a horror game, they, they make your characters very capable and you're, like I said before, you're, just, you're in control, you know? You're in control of the situation because you are essentially better than your opponents. Whereas in most horror games, you're basically uh, playing the role of a less capable, or in some ways, if you are capable, you're just extremely limited, like with ammo or, or uh, weaponry. Um, so did it, they're, they're different in that sense. Did anyone here play, um, real quick, uh, Call of Cthulhu Dark Corners of the Earth? Yes, loved it. Okay, uh, absolutely. So at least in that game, it's... I'm sorry? I said at least the beginning. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I kind of it kind of wore on me too, but in that game, it's first-person shooter. Um, the first, what was it? About two or three hours, Eddie. You don't have a gun. Okay, you don't have a gun. You're in this town. There's full of these creepy, weird people that stare at you when you walk down the streets. It's a first-person game. Um, you don't fight. You don't have any weapons really. You just have to kind of walk from place to place, talk to people. You're trying to get down to the, the, the middle of something and find out why this town is so weird and why people are disappearing and stuff like that. And about two hours into the game, you still don't have a weapon. Everyone in the town turns on you. 
And literally, all you can do is run away. And now you're surrounded in this isolated town with no method of escape by a town full of people with weapons that are trying to kill you. And you have to run through, like, a warehouse, through the sewers. You're basically just fleeing for your life at this point. And even when you do get a gun, the combat is limited in a way that you can't fight everybody, and it doesn't feel particularly, like, good while you're doing it. So you want to try and avoid people and sleep through the, the locations without getting caught. And that game had such a fantastic feeling of being overwhelmed by what's around you and being scared of every little thing, even not, not even the creatures, just the people that were around you, being scared of them because everyone was against you. You had no allies to turn to. That, I mean, the feeling of, of being scared in that game, of being frightened by everything, was so overwhelming and so fantastic. And, I mean, the game does fall apart a bit halfway through, but it, 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 if you haven't played that game, at least the first couple hours, it's like 10 bucks now, it is absolutely one of the most frightening, scary, creepy things that you'll ever play. And that is an effective use of horror and restriction, in my opinion. Yeah, that, that one scene um, in the hotel, well, that begins in the hotel, is probably, if I had to choose one, one of the most effective uh, set pieces in horror games that I've ever played. If you want to talk about restriction or lack thereof, um, what about a game like Dead Rising? Dead Rising... You're in a you're in a mall full of over fifty thousand zombies, and you can use pretty much everything you freaking want. But there were still times in that game where I felt like, holy crap, I have to do this. Mostly the boss fights, but like when there's a when there's a, a, a survivor that you see and you can save him, and yet you get swarmed as you're trying to get to that person. No matter what weapon you have, be it the lawnmower outside or the or the or like a, a bench, and then when he dies. If he dies in a certain method, he'll get up and start attacking you. You could make you could make your way there. He'll drop and come back, and then you have to kill him again. That type of uh, having to be Superman, I think, added an element to Dead Rising that that other games like Resident Evil Four, where you're just going from it's like a linear storyline that you don't really have a lot of control over. Um, whereas Dead Rising, that person will die because you didn't help them. And if I remember correctly, if you, if you didn't save at least a certain percentage of the survivors, if not all of them, you couldn't get the ending. Hmm. So. I didn't. It was even more, I don't remember if it was the survivors or it was something of, of that nature. But, um, you couldn't get the real ending where you fought the general in the tank surrounded by zombies or something. Uh, another spoiler alert, sorry about that. But. The fact that you then had to become a savior of the normal people, even though you were a normal person yourself, added another layer to that game that I loved. Dead Rising is a, it's an interesting case because, like we said before, you can, have a, you can define your genres by the type of gameplay, like first-person shooter, you know, that sort of thing. And then you can define it by content. So, like uh, Joe said, you can have a first-person shooter adventure versus a first-person shooter horror game. And with Dead Rising, I almost felt like it was just more of comedy. <laughs> it was like comic relief <laughs> the entire time. And, and to me, it didn't really feel like a horror game at all. It just felt like there were zombies, which are typically um, most most prevalent in horror-themed uh media, but in this case it was just like, oh, I'm Frank West, you know, a couple of wars before. <laughs> um, <laughs> covered wars, you know. Yeah. Dress up like Mega Man. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> I don't know. Something about that game just is it. It is not horror to me. Maybe that's Although, that. I was gonna say maybe that that's kind of like Resident Evil Four. I just find that comedic as well, to be honest. Uh, especially with like you know the Ashley <laughs> character, uh, just whiny, annoying character who I just immediately decided, you know what, if I don't go through this game just deciding that I hate you at the, from the off, then this is going to be a really bad experience, so I just not really care about you from the beginning, I just let if, unless it was implicit for her to, to for me to save her, I, I let her get hurt a bit, and then would go rescue her <laughs> it was just like, wait your turn I'm busy here <laughs> you know? go um, hide in that box yeah, exactly. yeah. stay there as long as you can, <laughs> I'll be back. In a um, but like to, to get, because I think there's like there's two separate sort of discussions here, and there's we're talking about cerebral things on, on the one hand, and, and kind of now at the moment we're talking about being at risk. And I guess the most time I've ever felt at risk or felt like there was something at risk was playing Left 4 Dead. Oh, um, just um, say that. Because <laughs> yeah. be, be, because there is something in risk in that final level, and you know you can all die. That'll be the end of the game. You're, you're all dead or one of your guys is dead, or two of your guys are dead, whatever. And it just makes you so on edge. It's like every <laughs> single little thing you do in that last bit counts. And like I've just had moments where I've you know, been despairingly trying to rush that helicopter while everyone else is on there, and they've just I've just died trying to get there. And that's much more affecting than like seeing someone getting mutilated in Dead Space or uh, you know seeing the, the gruesome, bloody, you are dead in Resident Evil. Uh, and I guess maybe that, that kind of touches in the cerebral thing you're kind of saying in, in some ways. And just like in Call of Duty, you can't trust anybody in that left, last level for Left 4 Dead because your friends will leave you there to die no matter what. At least my case is I've been <laughs> left there more often than I've been saved. So. Well, you're from New York. So. <laughs> as, as affecting as that was for me in Left 4 Dead, there's nothing, no white feeling worse than having like 30 health or 25 health and then watching the floor shake as a tank approaches. That um, <laughs> that is bad, and you, all you want to do then is just run away and hope that the AI is smart enough to kill it so it doesn't target you. <laughs> I have nightmares about the tank's tune that plays right before he comes out. Yeah, yeah, Definitely really frightening. A little something for everyone. From the serious analysis of Big Red Potion to the firm but well-informed GamerDork UK. GamerDork, 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 GamerDork. Find like-minded comment. Keep your hobby alive. Gaming bargains to help keep your hobby alive. There's one of the best and friendliest communities on the internet. And if you're one of us mature gamers, find like-minded comment. Is that game primarily about being on your own? I mean, I, I'm talking to someone who's never played a Silent Hill. I I think that, that even more so than Resident Evil, that game is about isolation. Right. Because even the people that you meet in the Silent Hill games, like you'll meet other characters. There's maybe four or five characters around the town that you could talk to during the game. And by the end, all of those characters either end up dead, worse off than they were, or betraying you in some way, shape, or form. So there's really no trustworthy allies in that game, except the person that you're trying to save, who of course appears every now and then to taunt you um, while you're running through the town. I think if they did try and put any type of multiplayer in a Silent Hill game, it would completely kill it. But, um, you know, then again, I said that about Resident Evil, and uh, they kind of pulled that off pretty well, so I'm not really sure. Well, it's a little different, though, because Silent Hill games are 
I mean, to me, they're they're primarily about the psyche of the protagonist. Like, mm. each one is really like a a journey through this person's psychological space. Like, especially in three, um, was just an example that I remember: the girl talking about killing all these demons, and um, I forget who she was talking to, and someone, the person who she's speaking to says, they look like demons to you? It's like, it's so weird to see to see them uh, throw in these little little bits that, that make you question the sanity of the of the protagonist when you you're not really privy to all the information anyway. Well, I mean, for the people who don't know, every Silent Hill, um, all the creatures in those games are manifestations of the character's inner demons. So, like, you know, obviously the most famous creature is Pyramid Head. Um, The first time you see him in the second game, he's raping two other monsters. And as soon as he's done, he smashes them in the head and kills them. Um, And he's a manifestation of uh, the main character, James's sexual and um, violent tendencies. Mm-hmm. And um, the way that that character is resolved throughout the game, it makes sense. And in the end, James conquers those fears when he, you know, takes on Pyramid Head. And as Eddie said, they they throw these little these little lines in there that kind of make you think that, you know, is my character running around a town right now slaughtering innocent people, and you know he doesn't know, yeah. or stuff like that is what really. And another example I want to bring up was uh, Eddie. You've played Eternal Darkness. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, you know, in that game, Dennis Dyack, uh, who we may have had words about in the past because of his later game, but um, <laughs> he created this brilliant world uh, in Eternal Darkness where uh, basically as your character is seeing these creatures, every time one of the creatures looks at the character, his sanity meter goes down. And when it gets to a certain level, you don't know what to trust. So um, instead of just having the character see these visions, the player actually sees the visions. So, for example, you'll walk into a room, and the character, as you're walking around, his head will fall off. And the player will sit there confused as all hell. And then, of course, the screen will flash and everything will be back to normal. And you've just, you've just seen one of these sanity effects. There's ones where bugs crawl across the actual screen that you're playing. There's ones where it says that it's erasing your GameCube memory card so that you have a split second of panic before you realize that it's this trick that the game is pulling. They, they do these things basically to not just make the, player, the, the character question his reality, but to make the player question his. And to make the player question if what he's seeing on the screen is actually happening or if it's just a trick. And I think that in that particular case, it, it, and in the Silent Hill case where you don't really know what you're doing in this town, I think it's really great in the way that they kind of worm their way into your head and, and F with you, very similar to the way that Kojima has done in many of his games. Okay. And I think that... Um, effectively portrayed horror in that we'll do something like that. We'll try and affect the player almost in a third wall breaking sense, just to let you know that yes, we're fucking with you too, not just with this character. You mentioned Kojima. I was just about to mention Psycho Manus. I go back to the first time I played Metal Gear Solid and he told me what was on my memory card and I nearly shat my <laughs> pants. Um, <laughs> because that was, I, I'll never forget that because at the time, you know, that was unheard of that, one game could tell you and then you put the remote on the floor and it starts to shake and and i'm sitting there looking at my buddy and he's looking at me and we don't know whether to freak out or just be like okay it's just a game pick it back up and then you have to unplug it put it in the other controller port and sometimes turn it upside down one of the most one of the most convoluted boss fights ever but still amazing another game another game that does that um and you're gonna laugh at me 
when I say this, but you, you should know what I'm talking about, is Animal Crossing. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Hear me out. Hear me out. In the original Animal Crossing, if you reset the game too many times without saving and that little mole bastard comes out and he says to you, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm clearing your save file. I'm resetting the game. You have to start over. Ready? Go. Boom. And the screen goes black. And you're like, you've got to be kidding me. Did he just drop the atom bomb on my town that I've worked on mindlessly for hours and days on end? And then it comes back and he's like, ha ha, fooled you. I wanted to, I wanted to kill that son of a bitch. Uh, I just got Animal Crossing. I'm gonna have to test that out. That's what's yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go, go a couple, go a couple of days or weeks or so in your town, and then just keep pressing reset over and over again. Eventually, he'll be like, you know what? You're starting from scratch. Peace. It's terrible. <laughs> um, son of a bitch. That's awesome. I mean, that, that, that's the thing. This is when 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 Joey and I talked about it at, uh, when we were planning the show. I said there are lots of examples of games which fuck around with your head outside of outside of horror. And I mean prime examples are, are Kojima and it's it amazes me that Animal Crossing does as well but I think <laughs> you know there are there are loads of them like uh, there are loads of games that try to break the fourth wall um, and uh, I really wish I'd fought harder and got a nice big list of examples for you Joe but I mean <laughs> really you can just go to the Metal Gear Solid series and just go one two three and four because they all do that and there are there are several sort of similar examples I think Eternal Darkness in some ways maybe possibly arguably borrowed a little bit in uh, from Metal Gear Solid Oh, it did. It absolutely did. That's, there's no question there that Dayak borrowed. And, and honestly, his next game after that was a Kojima remake. So obviously he did have a very big influence on, on Dayak. But uh, I think that, A, it saddens me that more games haven't stolen that. I mean, it would make those less special, of course, but there hasn't been as many. I mean, Metal Gear Solid 4 did a little bit, but um, there's really not that many games that actually directly try and attack the player in a way that, that Kojima and Dayak have in their games, uh, except maybe X-Men on the Genesis, where you have to reset your Genesis to continue playing at one point, which is kind of screwy, but, um, you know, it, it's 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 interesting, because I kind of like that. I kind of like, uh, what was that game, Majestic, I think it was, that EA put out about a decade ago, where um, it was kind of an ARG thing, where they would call your actual phone in real life to give you hints about the game and, and threaten you over the phone. Even though that message was preceded by, this is a call from EA for the Majestic game, so that you wouldn't get scared and call the cops. Uh, still the fact that some guy would actually say, F this, F you, I'm going to F and kill you tonight in your sleep, was awesome. Um, I just imagine if and, you hadn't heard the first part of that call, you just put the phone down for a second, and you'd be like, oh, fucking hell, Jesus Christ! <laughs> or if I had given it to my girlfriend and said, here, this is for you. <laughs> but, uh, I love calls like that. <laughs> I don't know. I, like, I, I mean, it's just me. I may be the masochist that, uh, that we were talking about earlier with Ludwig's comments, but yes, I kind of want games to, to make me feel uneasy in my actual life, which is kind of cool. I, I like games that, that, that try something like that, and I actually think, in, in some ways, I don't know if this is the same kind of thing, but you, we've seen, particularly first-person games, try to make things more realistic by affecting the way, by affecting visuals and audio. And I think, mm -hmm. like, sort of Call of Duty... You know, when a grenade comes at you, the whole screen goes blurry. You can't see right. anything. The sound is beeping. That actually does get to me. That that does sort of make me think this is a bit more like war and it's not very nice to be here. You know, that kind of thing. And it's kind of similar to what Ludwig is talking about. So, again, I, I think like it's affecting the player in, in unusual ways is something that the industry is doing maybe subtly in, in other genres. Hmm. Well, you nailed it. Yeah, sorry, unless we stopped now. <laughs> Got me. 
Really, yeah, it's, I think it's anything that that does something new to engage the player is always a, a bit more interesting than, you know, retreading the same tactics, you know, the same gameplay mechanics and, and elements of gameplay. And I think uh, survival horror or horror games just tend to seek that out more, you know, seek out new ways of engaging the player. Because they have to, otherwise they won't be suspenseful, they won't be quote-unquote scary anymore. So they have to really sort of reinvent things and, and pioneer as much as they can. You talk about pioneering, um, at Silent Hill, we go back to the same well over and over again. Um, Silent Hill Shattered Memories, the remake of the original game. Uh, they apparently are going to make you take some kind of test before you start the game. Where effects, yes. effectively, you will tell them what you're scared of. And most, if not all, of the enemies in the game will represent those things that you're scared of. If you write spiders, they're going to be spiders. And so on and so forth. That is brilliant. That is an, uh, a brand new way to bring the person in and say, yeah, we're going to scare the hell out of you, but not the way you think. You're t you might think you're taking this test just to give your character some personality. No. You're taking this test so we know how to screw with you. And that ticks. <laughs> <laughs> they said in that game, if, uh, if when you're exploring one of the schools, I think it is, if you go into the women's room first before the men's room, that will change something in the game. Really? And obviously, you prefer, Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's only, we got to find out. Got to play it. Chris Hansen shows exciting. up. What are you doing here? <laughs> I've got, you know, when I, I think... play that game, I'm going to be clued in. It's going to be like cupcakes and like, uh, <laughs> like DVDs. I'm, like, oh, I'm terrified of that DVD I watched yesterday. Uh... Puppies. I like puppies. <laughs> I'm scared of puppies and kittens. It's going to be like Animal Crossing meets Silent Hill. I'm scared of Super no, that could 64. Be... Put that in there. <laughs> If you put puppies, though, that could actually end up being really horrifying. Because what could they do with puppies? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Thank our GamerDove guys for coming on the show today. You guys did fantastic jobs. Um, let's see. Jason, would you like to promote something? Uh, I will be having my GameX coverage. I should have it up by the end of the day. Interviews including Yancey Kershaw, Mustin, the lead, the lead um, instrument or bassist of the one-ups. Um, and then a Bayonetta preview. And, yeah, I think it's everything I have. And that's at GamerNode.com, right? Yes, GamerNode.com. Uh, Listen Up is my sound column, and Jason Finelli, which obviously is my personal column. Okay, awesome. What about you, Eddie? Um, GamerNode.com. Of course, BigRedPotion.com. <laughs> Woo! Um, of course. Oh, actually, on uh, Went Up Today, Sinan has the definitive association <laughs> football game review. <laughs> And I'm not even going to tell you what it is, but it's our latest review, and you're going to love it. So go check that out. It puts FIFA and Pro Evolution Soccer to shame. 
<laughs> I, I do have to stress that the best line in that review is, is courtesy of uh, uh, one Eddie Inzato. Uh, the first line. I'm mean, <laughs> just. I'm going to have to say it. It is a review on Football Genius: The Ultimate Quiz, and uh, Eddie's line was that it makes FIFA and Pro Evolution seem trivial. Ha ha ha! You can laugh like that. Master, ah, ha, ha. master of words. He's the pun master. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So, Sinan, you obviously have a few things to plug. Uh, yeah, please, please, uh, just go to gamingnet.com, and if you've happened to see my review, so be it. But it's a, it's a great website. Um, a few things to plug. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff that's that's going up on uh, the game reviews, which is very, very good. Uh, we've got an editorial from one Joe Delia, which should be up with this podcast uh, tomorrow. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, i got to finish it, though. That That's something I have to do. But, yes, it will be up tomorrow. That'll be uh, Today, that'll be fantastic. Uh, and just and to, uh, you also... I was, was going to say, just to plug you. As, as our new reviews director, and I, I, I uh, very much congratulations again because uh, you know it's a it's a step up, and uh, looking forward to seeing the direction they, the reviews go on the site. Thank you, sir. And they start with my Uncharted review, where I pretty much put 900 words of glowing praise about it. And uh, Sinan, you also put your thoughts on the, the Big Red Potion site. Uh, actually, your your personal blog, right? No, no, I put up on, on the Big Red Potion site. Um, oh, okay. Just a, a few thoughts on those uh, those cutscenes that you know we talked about at the top of the show that we play. Okay, great. So everyone has plugged quite a bit. So um, I'd like to thank you all for listening today, and we will see everyone next week. Bye.